Welcome to New Type Flash. This is a podcast where every other week we come to you with uh, Universal Century in a more or less chronological manner. This week we are coming to you with Mobile Suit Gundam Thunderbolt, volumes four through seven of the manga. Uh, last time we covered the uh, December Sky and Bandit Flower. Um, and this time we're going to jump around and cover the manga versions of uh, of the second anime because uh it's way different than the manga is especially if you're talking about uh the way it works like chronic about about everything yeah pretty much everything yeah. so uh i am lane we've also got um scotty on the podcast hey and we've got luke hello i want to make a note about the chronological order i feel like the only way to do a real chronological order with this would be like all right it's one January 0079. What happened today? That would be a whole podcast. Yeah, that would be like a PhD thesis in its own, just to like break down. In the first three minutes of uh, episode one of the original Mobile Suit Gun, and this is what happened. That'd be a nightmare. Someone one guy that would be into it. Someone has done this. Oh, dear. It's, it's out now. There is one that I think I had even linked you guys to it. It was that very 90s looking website. And I think that is only oh. current up through early 21st century. I've been doing, doing the podcast that way. I know the timeline. The, it was oh. The oh, oh, that would be horrible to listen to. Well, it's not even a good, like, yeah, it wouldn't even be a good experience. Mm-hmm. Well, there's, because- there's certain pot, there's certain, um, like world war two YouTube podcasts out there that like, this is what happened in, uh, January 3rd, you know, 1917, and they they kind of break it down, and it's and it's really cool. So like, it's interesting, but that's because it really happened that way. Well, let me yeah. tell you how many of those I've listened to, and that's none. <laughs> that's for a reason. <laughs> yeah, that would not even be. I mean, can you imagine jumping in between? I mean, just imagine all. Think of all of the series that have something happen at the same time as Guerin's big Hitler speech after Garma dies. <laughs> like well, all and, the things jumping have- around and. It'd be the 300th episode special <laughs> on day four. <laughs> um, but but then you'd also have to get into the the silly arguments on the internet, like uh, like we recently did in our in our Reddit post, just to... like Thunderbolt not being canon. Yeah, that one. <laughs> I I kind of made a trolling um, title and uh, somebody bit, and and it's all in good fun. Um, but I mean, we could talk about this either now or in another episode. But it was basically, you know, w- what is canon and what is not canon, and and basically, you know, at the end of the day, enjoy what you want to enjoy because it's an anime about mm-hmm. robots in space. Mm-hmm. I mean, this same argument was made with Eighth MS Team, like the Goof Custom being too strong for a Zeon suit, so- right? And and that was in the 2000s same thing with the gp series from 0083 like oh yeah they had to do that ending because these suits are too strong compared to the zeta stuff and the unicorn supposedly broke everything <sighs> it's all relative though i mean because you could argue um that the strength of it unless they're sitting there like actual statistics on how strong something is it's all relative you know like it looks pretty strong based off of how people were piloting i guess yeah I mean, and, and I, I guess I understand some of the argument. Um, like the one guy was talking about like beam, like 
deflection technology and i was like well, how are, how are we going to talk about beam deflection technology when one it's not real right now <laughs> like how can we like break this stuff down and like how long it's going to take somebody to develop the next level of it because we obviously have no idea um and it doesn't matter like you know right. you, you can meta this stuff by saying like some random scientist out in the middle of bfe colony 37 was sitting there developing his own mobile suit and it came out you know just kind of like the psycho zaku in a way right like yeah i mean nobody ar nobody argues this stuff with blue destiny where you have the exam system and the hades system and all this really hyper powerful stuff that shouldn't exist at the time right like oh there's a system that's powered by this new type ghost of the, some chick uh, you know okay that's fine it, it's sort of like you said enjoy what you want to enjoy count what you want to count and what i'm really reminded of here thinking of just other th current things going on i just read through it finished up last week uh the latest x-men series from jonathan hickman the house of x powers of 10 reboot and what marvel has been doing i think at least um at least in the last probably four or five months i've picked up some of their stuff again but i'm assuming since stan lee passed away is every month in all of their pages they are kind of reprinting uh, the Stan's soapbox that was in the comics in the 60s, 70s, 80s. I think after the mid 80s, it kind of, I don't know how much they did that anymore. But the one that was in there this month was, you know, kind of just, I'm very, very much paraphrasing. But it was kind of, you know, we get letters every now and then of, you know, how is Captain America in this place here when he should be here? Or, you know, why are the things powers this and they should be this? And, his whole message is you have to allow some artistic license with this stuff and make sure you keep that in mind because if you start to get too deep into it, you're you're not gonna enjoy it as much as you could if you just kinda Yeah, uh, there's let it you know, gotta roll with it sometimes. You can think like, it's bad, you can not like it, but you gotta roll with it sometimes. I feel it's like hard. it's it's similar to like the Game of Thrones kind of debate that a lot of people had. Um, when the TV show was airing um, at the same time, the the books had already been out. Um, so like I, I read or I watched the first season, maybe the first two seasons. I can't remember which one. And then I went and read all. Of, no, it was the first season I saw. And then I read all of the books and then I got to see the shows as they came out. Um, and to me, it was really cool um just seeing it like the the similarities and the differences and i mean obviously it's it's super difficult to like fit everything in a book that is in um a tv show but then like some you know there's some people that get so bent out of shape because you know this character like gave somebody a weird look that you know, in the movie or in the book, they would have never given a weird look to. And I'm like, come on, who cares? Like, enjoy it. It's like, life. it's a different medium. I live my life uh, with methodology. Uh, everything is canon and anything that doesn't make sense, unreliable narrator. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I guess that's our, our short rant, but I, you know, I, I like um, going back and forth with it a little bit. Uh, I thought it was fun to, like have the discussion on the thread because i i like hearing other people's opinions and um arguing on the internet at some point as long as it's a friendly argument yeah i'm down with that so let's jump into it we're going to jump into volume four so we kind of the, the reason we didn't do volumes one through three in a separate um 
podcast is because volumes one through three are the exact same thing as um, December Sky. Like, almost sell for sell. There, there's a little bit of difference that we kind of highlighted in the show, but it's the same. Um, four through seven, though, world's different. <laughs> I, would say, I would say at a minimum, chronologically, things things are different. Um, and, and maybe, like, if you look at the calendar, it's, it's not necessarily really different. It's just presented in a different order, and it changes your interpretation of everything. Well, there's whole sections of the anime, or the anime that get left out in this part, especially if you talk about EO's background. Yeah, absolutely. I was actually going to just use that as an example. The, the biggest thing uh, was right when EO pops up from the out of the ether in the Atlas and the anime, um, there was like an um, at least a chapter or two just explaining how he got to that point, um, which I thought was super valuable um, because it really dramatically changed his character arc for me. I I feel like the um, the animes have done a, a huge disservice to his character uh, up till this point. Um, and who knows? They've they've hinted. Um, I saw an interview a few weeks ago where they basically said like they do want to do another Thunderbolt uh, anime, but they're waiting for the content to be there. I think essentially to wrap it up. Uh, uh, Scotty has feelings on this. Well, yeah. So these are the simplest way I can put it is that the manga is very decompressed. It is very decompressed here because we're talking four volumes now for Bandit Flower. And it's four and some change, and things are in a very different order. And as this progresses, we're up to in English officially what volume 12? Yeah, so eight, nine, 10, 11, 12 that are all past it. And they're going, Well, we need more source material before we can animate more. And I think 13's already been out in Japan for a while. It, it doesn't come to the US 14. until February, I think. 14 might be out by now. I was going to say, Yeah. And for them to say we need more material, all that tells me is they're like, we're going to wait for this thing to wrap up. And it really is. It, it's very, especially even uh, after what we're going to cover when we get into 8, 9, 10, 11, 12 and beyond. Uh, like, yeah, it, there's not much there as far as something that you could put into a show and have still be exciting. I think what he's doing works for this medium but I can completely see if you're wanting to make an anime of it, there's just so much here that you, it wouldn't translate well to the screen. Do you think it was a matter of him them going, Oh, uh, volumes one through three. This is so cool. This would make a great anime. They made it. And then they're like, all right, well let's do the next one. They started doing it. And then they kind of slowly realized, uh, maybe we jumped the gun. Yeah. And there's also just, there's just some things that work well in a comic book or manga that, you know, like when you have an anime like Gundam, you've got to have action going on. And there's a lot of stretches where there isn't action going on. And so I think if you were to put out anime OVAs of a lot of the, I don't want to say politics, but it's just a lot of drama scenes with it's a, it's a lot of character drama. Yeah. And it's such a abrupt change of pace from what they have been animating that I think they would end up letting people down. Even the, if they were, even if, Hey, it's faithful to the source material. It, it's like you said, like with game of Thrones, there's a lot on TV that they didn't put on TV because it would be long winded, drawn out character drama that 
they might not even know all the resolutions to because there's no more books to do, to go off of. And Which was weird because th- there is one section that I feel like they threw a lot more effort into uh, and they even changed it and we'll, I, we'll get more into it, but like the whole um, Bianca and Io playing music together, like in the manga, it's just like out of nowhere and they're just I like think- jamming at a, in a, at a club. Well, and, then, uh, and I think that goes into the the like timeline skipping in the manga version that didn't occur because they did everything like linearly. I don't know if linearly is re- is, a, is a real word, but they did everything in a linear fashion in the anime. And they did it extremely non-linear in the comic, so it was it was a little bit jarring having seen it the way I did in the anime before I read the books. Um, using that as the example, because uh, they were like, "Oh, hey, they're jamming," and then it cut back like three hours earlier, where they're like, "Hey, let's play together." And then they cut back like a few hours earlier, where she's like, oh, "Who's this son of a bitch? Oh, he likes jazz. Cool." Like, <laughs> you know, they jumped around a lot, and and it really uh, it was really kind of a, in my opinion, a weird way to tell the story. But I think I was biased having seen the animated version first. It works for me because they're both stupid whores. <laughs> I love- EO, EO2 included. I, I'm not being like, no, they, like, they are both, they are perfect for each other. I like EO though, man. Come on. I didn't say I didn't like him. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. I, I, I just thought it was, it was different how they, they shifted things around. So let's go ahead and get started then. Um, we've, we've talked about the manga overall. So 14 far. minutes later. Hey, you know, this could be pretty short anyway. So. We'll see. Oh, I'm good. I love it. <laughs> All right. So volume four, it kind of starts at the end of um, December Sky. You saw kind of like a, um, I don't know how to describe it other than an orgasm of Abawakwa. Um, or that even Abawakwa. makes it sound sexier. <laughs> there's, there's like a, because we had talked Montage. about it before too. We, we didn't know if, uh, we think they didn't know that they were going to animate um the second movie um so they just kind of like through like a minute and a half worth of volume four into the anime but it almost kind of felt like all of volume four right am i am i the only one that felt that way i mean it's a lot it's of most it. of it yeah, yeah. and that one it. minute and a half was almost all. i was sitting there reading volume four and i'm like jesus christ <laughs> There's plot points that they obviously leave out. Um, yeah, yeah, but for the for the most part, and if I'm talking about like the general like volume of combat in Abawaku, everything that was in Volume Four was in in that minute and a half. I think. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. And then the, like the, the stuff. if I had to summarize Volume Four in like four or five sentences, the last few minutes of of December Sky would be that summarization visualized (laughs) my page count it's a little over a third actually it's kind of close to a half of the volume but not quite okay so it's it's less than i thought then i mean yeah but yeah so we start off we see operation star one the federation is just lighting up um everybody uh, the Xeon forces there. Um, you can kind of tell this is at the point of the battle where they've broken through the yeah. line. Um, you you kind of they they try to show like each section of 
you know, like the thoughts of the Federation soldiers, which were, hey, we're fighting to free Zeon from the grip of the Zabi family. And then the Zeons are like, we're fighting for space noid independence. Um, so they kind of try to show how like there was like uh, a little bit of difference um, in, in their perspectives of the battle and what these guys were fighting for. Um, and then we also get to see briefly the Gundam headcore, which I thought was kind of funny. Um, I don't know if anybody had any thoughts on the Gundam headcore, but <laughs> I feel like that's riffing on the ground type, <laughs> you know, where it's just GM ground types, but then they put a Gundam head on it. Like, yeah. A ground Gundam. <laughs> <laughs> um yeah i put zeon is uh, the zeon forces are overwhelmed they're losing to the gundam head <laughs> um Apparently it's foreshadowing for g gundam yeah <laughs> um and i did not bother to google this later but are all gun tanks headless no I think okay. no gun. I think no gun tanks are supposed to be headless, but they are in Thunderbolt. I don't think that's true. I they think are. They Look, it up. Look it up. I think they just have squatty heads. No, they're. I swear to you, they they're headless. I'll have to look again real quick here. Because it, it was weird. It was it was actually like weird to me because I was looking at it and I was like, where where is the head? I thought they just yeah. had like a front mounted one, but uh, no, it sure it sure they, does have a headlamp. There's yeah. no head there. Yeah, this is absolutely a head. That's right not there. a head. Yeah, it is. It's a head. It's just like it's just like you can't see me, but it's like it's like he's just got his shoulders shrugged up around his head. No, look at what I'm putting on the screen. I know. I'm looking at it. It's got, I can see the head right there in the middle. That's not a head. That is a head. It just doesn't have a mouth. Chill. <laughs> oh no, it has one eye. It doesn't have two eyes. That's Isis. I don't know. It looks like it looks like a spot where you would pop the head on. <laughs> oh yeah, you can see. Yeah, I'm with I'm with Luke. It's very kind of scrunched in, but you can see the little like ear antenna. Uh huh. And then there's the canopy, that's the glossy part, and then yeah. it even has sort of a mouth. You have those two horizontal lines that are just below that canopy, and it okay. still has that border. Um, like if you look at the squad logo on its left and then look to your left from that that's like that thing's nose is roughly parallel with those horizontal vent lines it just looks weird oh yeah gun tanks are strange you know what you know where there's better contrast for it if you look to the very next page um you can kind of see where he's shaded the torso much darker yeah just to give you the appearance of color and then you can see that quote-unquote head of the gun tank as much as any of them have a head Looking at the uh, the original gun tank, like the seventy five four or whatever it was, um, versus like the actual like the Thunderbolt version, they put this like neck armor around it, so it's got like the same torso with like the heavy duty like treads and heavy duty arms, and then it's got this like neck armor about around it, which is the same color as like the shoulder like missile launcher looking things. Um, I suspect that's why it's making it look like it doesn't have a head. Yeah, to me, to me, it just looks like they need to pop the head on it like they never fully <laughs> threw it on it so like the back of the manga actually has a, a good picture i guess where you can see a little bit clear that that it does have a head but i don't know it just to me it looks like they need to pop the uh the head on the gunpla yeah well it's very <laughs> strange having the shoulders that big on this artillery vehicle i feel like that would 
mess up your visibility a little bit, but I don't know anything about actual artillery tactics. So, <laughs> well, as we've determined in this podcast already, uh, Gundam and mobile suit camera systems are extremely inconsistent. So who knows? <laughs> um, so we get a flash to this old lady, um, in, is she, she, they're in Solomon, right? I think. Yeah, it's the rebranded Solomon. It's yeah. uh, Corduroy or... Pompeii Island. There it is. Pompeii, yeah. So this old lady there is um, saying she want, that she wants the troops to get things other than the leadership of Xeon. Um, very hinting that they they want their tech, right? Um, and then you see that in the next scene, the Federation are grabbing the scientists from the Flanagan uh, Institute. And then we see some of the Xeongs that were... Um, at the very end of the December Sky anime. Um, these Xeongs really don't have much to do with the plot other than they have the Saikamu system in them. Um, so now Federation has Saikamu, right? And I think it's very loosely defined here, but the group that finds the Xeong, that's the Seven Seas Alliance, right? Because they're like a Federation like offshoot. Is that an accurate statement? That's how I interpreted that, and I could have been wrong. Is that is that like the Nanyang people you were talking about? The the cult. The yeah, I don't think that's them in in okay. this section. No, I, I think it's just special forces. Yeah, I don't think you they pop in at this point. Do you remember what chapter it is? Um, it is chapter thirty one. Chapter 31 or 30, 30 or 31. Cause I do know in 32 when, uh, when JJ, whatever his name is, gets picked up, he gets picked up by the seven seas guy. Uh, I don't think these are the cultists. Just we, they don't show their bald heads or anything. Yeah. So. Because they don't, they don't show up until after battles because they're scavenging parts. And that's yeah. what later, that's how they have mobile suits is from all the wreckage that they've picked up. So they're yeah. allied with the Federation at this point, but they're not, yeah, these guys just look like ge generic. Yeah, they're just like this. They're generic dudes. I was looking for the logo. Yeah, they do not have it. So yeah, you're you're right. I, I interpreted it that way, and I was wrong. Okay. Um, but we do see uh, the captain being salvaged from um uh, from December Sky. So this is kind of what we had hinted at in the previous episode that there was some weirdness with how the manga presents things and then like how the captain just shows up at the end of just uh bandit flower just yeah. being like alive and the manga doesn't bullshit you about it yeah you're talking about uh claudia yeah yeah claudia Pierre. Yeah, yeah yeah that was another thing they left out that definitely was it was was pretty key i was very confused in the anime when that when i saw that originally yeah when i read the manga at first i went wait was this scene in the anime? Did I not pay attention? And was I ranting about something that was actually my fault? <laughs> right. <laughs> but then it turns out, no, it wasn't in there. They just drop her in, you know, in the very last act of the anime. Whereas here it's not only foreshadowed before this, but it's not, it's not making you think she was blown up and that everyone <laughs> forgot her. She's injured, but not dead. <laughs> right. Yes. She um, apparently died, which is different from actually dying. Yes. 
Yes. Nobody knew she was alive except for the people that rescued her. And the reader, which would have been nice for the viewer. (laughs) Rule of thumb, if you don't see them die, they didn't die. It's true. Game of Thrones rules for this. Um. (laughs) That's, That's like comic book rules 101, though. Yeah. And then even then, sometimes they didn't die. (laughs) <laughs> we resurrected him by stealing his soul and putting it into another body. Um, yeah, so we get a, actual a few, things that happen. <laughs> we see a few scenes of Daryl sniping. So he's sniping. He's obviously not as good as he was in his uh, Psycho Zaku, but he's still like pretty good out there. Um, One comment I'll make about this scene is he's actually success, like successfully sniping, and it seems like he's pretty comfortable. Whereas, um, he, I mean, he eventually has issues with it, uh, with the piloting, but they immediately went into him not being able to control the mobile suit in the anime. They kind of skipped over that. Yeah, uh, yeah, they made him see way more, seem way more incompetent in the yeah. anime than the manga. The manga kind of goes back to, hey, when he was in the Thunderbolt sector, he was a sniper. So, like, he knows how to do this shit. Um, yes, he was better in the Psycho Zaku, but who wouldn't be after being a quadruple amputee? Uh, um, but yeah, and then we see EO escaping uh, from Xeon Control naked. Naked. Stupid whore. <laughs> well, the name um, is fall. Yeah, he, you know, he had been tortured, as we've seen in, in Volume 3 and the end of uh, December Sky. But uh, so, yeah, we see Dr. Sexton actually being salv- salvaged in the anime. Um, they they don't really show it or in the manga. They don't show it in the anime very much, um, although they do like reference it later on. Um, but you kind of get like just you get like even more skeevy vibes because you never really like this guy because he's a piece of shit. Um, but he's basically like, hey. Save me! I've got all this cool technology. Um, oh yeah, he's real ready to like be crazy on. <laughs> yeah, he's like, oh shit, it's the Fetties. Sweet, I've got a lot of information. <laughs> I also would like a steak. And and this is where we first get introduced to the creepy monks who are salvaging Xeon and Federation mobile suits um, in in the battle. Um, I think this is like the one scene that the anime does better because I like the, all the creepy music when it shows I'm doing it. But I mean, you still see them. Yeah. You see this like weird, what I think is supposed to be implied as Sanskrit, or maybe it is really Sanskrit. I wouldn't know. Yeah, I have no idea. Um, but like the only real imagery I got from it was just like throat singing in my head, playing the entire time. Anything was on screen with them. And that's it. Um, and they, they did a really good job of, uh, kind of portraying the malevolence of those dudes. Um, in the anime yeah yeah so he he's specifically trying to sell the the reuse psycho device to these guys and of course they're in, uh they're interested because who wouldn't be with this stuff um and then we jump into the uh spartan entering earth's atmosphere and it has an old lady in it we kind of like just end about a coup here <laughs> abruptly um, and then even past that, we see, uh, EO visiting Claudia's grave back on, um, this is kind of the start more. of that where I told you, uh, they just skip like, I don't know, an entire chapter or two and just skip right to him being like there. 
Yeah, this whole scene is very weird um, if you watch the anime as well because now we're getting a lot of backstory on Io and we're actually seeing that um, the Moore colony is basically mostly rebuilt at this point. Except Um, all the melted stuff. What's that? Except all the melted stuff. Yeah, I mean, there's still a lot of it wrecked, but, you know, Io's family and um, Claudia's family, the peers, um, have put in tons of money and they're like really wealthy and they're rebuilding these colonies. Um, we learned that EO was demoted to base security for losing the full armor Gundam. And, um, Claudia's brother, Randy is a douchebag. Yeah. And he, uh, EO grabs him right by the dick immediately, <laughs> which, uh, I thought was very, uh, yeah, he was like, you need to hire better security. <laughs> He's like, first of all, your guys suck. Second of all, fuck you. Third of all, yeah, it was. Yeah, so he basically says, like, I, I need a favor from you. And he, he threatens him. He's like, you're going to give me what I want. Um, and so we, we move on again. We see now we've seen Claudia's family. Now we're going to see more of EO's family. Um, so EO is being given an award uh, in a ceremony that is honoring his father who killed himself during the uh, invasion um, by his sister, who is, I, I think it's his older sister. Um, she seems to be kind of like, she, she the, definitely looks older than him. Yeah. She seems to be like the president of their family company or something along these lines at this point. Um, what's that? Fleming industry. Yeah. And uh, so we find out that EO sold most of his his stake in the family company to uh, Randy, and uh, his sister's pissed off about that, and she yeah. stabs him with the metal that she gives him. She stabs him with the pen, but yeah, she kind of like she basically they they have this like media presence where they're like the loving family, and you know he's like the one the likable one, and she's the the business minded one, and they secretly hate each other. Yeah, I mean, as soon as they hug, the first line of dialogue between them is her calling him an ungrateful shit. <laughs> yeah, so they have a really healthy family dynamic. Um, this is definitely how normal families behave. Yeah, when when my my family is handing me millions of dollars, I I just say, you know, fuck you. <laughs> yeah, like when I when I have to cash out fifteen percent of the family business so I can go be free. <laughs> I can go just play the guitar, whatever. Yeah. Um, so now we're back on Earth. We're, uh, we see a Xeon patrol. Uh, or sorry, we see a Federation patrolling uh, over Australia. Uh, we see that... Over the city crater. Yeah, the nice little crater that destroyed 15% of the landmass in Australia. And... It's um, it, not being canon. What's that? <laughs> I was surprised it's there with this not being canon. It's true. It's true. It's Australia joke. doesn't actually exist in this side story, you know? It's a joke. Um, <laughs> so they, they detect a Xeon patrol. So like the, the, there's a whole inference that, you know, Xeon is, the, the, there's still a lot of active um, yeah, fighting on the, on the planet. Yeah, uh, despite the war have been, uh, I think, I think this is about six months later. Yeah, this is like post signing of the armistice, uh, armistice, whatever, however you pronounce that. Armistice. They're basically hunting down. Uh, thank you, thank you. 
uh, basically hunting down Xeon remnants, um, yeah. controlling the area, and they get swarmed by a by a Xeon remnant. Yep. So I might need Lane, the history guy, to chime in here, but I seem to have a passing knowledge that this is analogous to the pockets of Japanese resistance that refused to surrender after World War II. So there were some. Um, okay. I I think I think they were overblown um, in an effort to make the Japanese seem more relatable um, over time. So like there's definitely like cases like the one that a lot of people like to bring is like the guy that was like hiding out in the woods for like 70 years, like fighting the war. The guy knew the war was over. Like he had been meeting and getting food from the people in the village for years and years and years. Um, he just there was, was like on an island, wasn't there recently? Yeah, yeah. So this is that guy. So like there was a village there, and he was being fed and taken care of. But he was like, you know, he he was not abandoning his post. But the dude knew the war was over. He wasn't going to fight Americans if he wanted to. Which is yeah. I, I don't know the full justification for it, but I again, it, it's it's one of those things where I, I think it's more people making more out of something than they they should have. Um, okay, no, that's fair. That's why. I, but yeah, but there right. were instances of that. I mean, in any war, especially back when communication wasn't as good as we as as it is now. I mean, you you had that in the Civil War and all this stuff as well. It's like you <laughs> these guys are going to fight until like somebody authoritative comes and says, "No, no, you really don't have to fight anymore. We're done." <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, this is my you know my favorite Transformers story does this where you know Megatron kind of just says, hey, the war is over, but not everyone's going to hear that in the galaxy. Right. And then even some of the ones that see a recording of it, some of the Decepticons, they're like, well, okay, we don't care anyway, though. Yeah, your your Wish story is not legit to me. It doesn't matter. Yep. Um, all right, so... Yeah, so th they're fighting these uh, Xeon patrols... Um, it's like some core fighters versus some not core fighters that look pretty cool. Um, and then we see, so this is like, this next scene is basically the only time we see Daryl, uh, at all. Like, so the, like Daryl is in volume five of Thunderbolt and gets like a chapter in volume seven. Um, so we see Daryl alive. He's working out on the beach. Um, I think it I, was just an opportunity to show that he was still here. Well, so like he, this is where he gets hit. Like the anime kind of like spaces out everything. And I think this might be why they did it is because he just basically doesn't show up after, after this point for a while. So like in the anime, they kind of like stretch out his timeline um, to make it kind of interspersed with everything. And in the manga, it's just kind of like, well, it doesn't matter because this other stuff's happening in this, that, you know, he, he's chilling out. Um, one of the things I thought was really interesting in the manga versus the anime that we see here is um, Ensign Hickam, uh, who's the kind of the emo new type that's in his unit. Um, he seems to trust and believe in Daryl straight out of the gate in the manga. Whereas in the anime, he's very much like, 
well, we'll see what he can do. Is he, you know, like, is he any good? And in the manga, he's like, ah, like this guy's legit. He came from Thunderbolt. Like, I want to see him like, because in, in, in his, the character motivation in this one seems to be like Hickam doesn't have any faith in his own abilities. He doesn't feel like he's met, lived up to like the new type thing that people seem to have expectations for him questioning but, whether he even is right 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 um but yeah he seems to like be fully bought not maybe not fully but like 75 percent bought in on daryl and um in the manga um so we kind of learn what the spartan is doing on earth now that we we mentioned that they were kind of doing an earth re-entry a little bit ago um but so we we learned there is a south seas alliance um they're called nanyang in the in the manga i think it's south seas alliance and and the anime um the spartan is going to attack and get the psychozaku um intel from these crazy cult guys um and then Daryl's team is basically trying to do the same thing, except they just basically want to get the uh, Psychozaku research back from the Federation people so they can't use it. So like at this point, they know that they don't have like a good connection with the Federation. So it's not like, you know, somebody hasn't uploaded it to the Federation's like main database and it's like all over the world at this point. So like Dar like Daryl's unit is basically like let's get the psychozaku baku ba the, the psychozaku baku from uh furka uh, <laughs> she's going full japanese uh with this. Um uh, get the psychozaku information back from the crazy cult guys uh before the federation can take that technology and adapt it into their own mobile suit. Um so I always feel like nothing connects up with 0083 enough. So in my head, and this is completely in my head, there is nothing in the book to even remotely hint at this. But in my head, I act like they're trying to get that because they want to take that out to you know the Delaz fleet and the Axis fleet and do something with it. There's nothing I mean, in the book to hint that. Is oh, just, yeah. In the back of my head, I'm like, that gives them a motivation to me. Yeah. Um, and so we, at the end of volume four, we actually get to see the first scene with the psychos or the, the new Atlas Gundam. So we see um, that, th that the Atlas Gundam has basically been developed to fight the Sakuzaku. Psychozaku. <laughs> You'll get there. I'll get there. Um, and that's volume four. Volume five. Let's go. Um, so this is this is kind of where we see like even more differences between the anime and the manga. So like in the anime, all of this is happening at the same time, and there's a there's a huge inference that this whole manga is happening at the same time that the battle in volume seven is happening in the and. Uh, Volume five and volume seven seem to be happening at the same time in the anime. They're not happening at the same time. It's different. Um, yeah. So uh, Daryl and his unit are fighting the cultists. The unit is is overwhelmed, and they are um, using both the Federation and the Zeon suits that they were scavenging 
earlier after the Battle of Bawaku. Um, but they managed to recover their, the spy that they're trying to get out from there. And um, yeah, so that part at least kind of matches up. Um, the really cool thing I thought that we see is the um, the GMs that we see on these weird inflatable ski things. I hadn't seen those before. Is is this like a new Thunderbolt thing? Uh, I think so. Yeah, they're they're on cool skis. Um, and it's a little bit different from the. I don't think the anime ones are using this, the skis either. But um, yeah, so. Daryl is getting chased by these three or four units on, on skis and Hickam and uh, one of the other guys is kind of just like watching Daryl escape. And they're like, Oh, we're not going to interfere. Um, but we're going to watch. <laughs> so um, yeah, Daryl escapes and he, he basically like puts this anti minefield gel all over himself and launches himself off a bridge and then like flips over and blows up the, the, the mo mobile suits. Um, and then Hickman takes Pretty out rad. one that, uh, or Hickam takes out one that managed to survive. So this is, this is where we, we have like a long conversation uh, or not long, maybe like five minutes in the last episode uh, where we were talking about like some weird crystal, pink shit that that uh daryl's unit managed to like throw on these things and blow them up that doesn't happen at all in the manga it's like he literally just blows them up um yeah yeah i don't really understand what the purpose of that was yeah it was really weird and didn't make any sense um and we also learn that the leader of the crazy cult is um, Sojo Levin Fu, which, which Sojo means high priest. So it's Levin Fu is the guy's name. Um, and then at the very end of this, we see the Zeon soldier, some Zeon soldiers being sent on a suicide mission to take out the new Pegasus class ship, which is the Spartan. Um, and it's kind of a funny scene. Like these guys are like smoking cigars and like enjoying each other's company because they know they're going to die. They didn't really have an option. Um, and then they're like launching themselves towards the, the Spartan. And then the Atlas Gundam cuts them in half and they die. <laughs> yeah. It was a little sad. They were like super bummed out and they're like, yeah, I guess we're going to die for the, for the cause now. And that just sucks. <laughs> Poor guys. They they thought they were gonna. They knew they had to die. Well, the and then they part, didn't die for what they wanted to die. For. Well, the worst part is that the they're like, okay, you guys are gonna do the suicide bombing. And they're like, they're like, yeah, we're super proud to be doing the suicide bombing. And they're like, great, you can finally be useful to Zeon, you broken pieces of shit. By the way, here's an extra ration of salami for you. Like, oh my god, that's some depressing shit right there. And and these guys, like you, you see the looks on their faces in the cells where they're just kind of like. Oh, thanks. Like, I really appreciate it. <laughs> it's like, plus I've also prepared a fig tart on white bread. Ooh. Ooh. Fig you fancy. Cake. <laughs> uh, so after the Atlas cuts these guys in half and ends their not even dreams of, of valor, 
Uh, we see Cornelius and Eo are now reunited again on the Spartan. And the the new crew doesn't really seem to care for Eo that much either. They they reference um, him using kids as shields in the Thunderbolt sector yep. and yada, yada, yada. The, the Bianca chick, right? Her and like other people. No, I mean, there's like a mix of people that are like, oh man, that's a really cool mech. But then like anybody that spoke about him, they're like, oh, that guy seems like an asshole. What a dick. The older uh, the older pilots are, are especially not fond of him. Yeah. I mean, to be fair, he is a rich playboy. Also a bit of a douche. Yeah. That, I mean, I thought that came with the territory. Um, all right, so now we're on to volume six. We're halfway done with this almost. Um, oh, thank God. <laughs> So I, I mentioned this in the chat. So this is kind of like aside from the manga, but also part of the manga. Um, volume six, you get to see in the very beginning, the uh, Atlas Gundam standing in very pretty like drawings. And the Atlas Gundam looks so weird when it's standing up. It's got like protruding knees. Um, and, and it's because of like the... It's got the weird ball joints and like yeah. over on top of it. They actually, I think this might maybe a little bit later on, but this is actually where they call it. They're like, that does not look like it's a Federation mobile suit, at least not entirely. And they're like, yeah, look at those ball joints. Look at those things. Yeah, and and they say why they they basically took the the ball joints from the uh, Xeon Tech. Um, yeah, it, look, it just say, looks so weird. They say what? that uh, there's no way that it's literally uh, that it's only Federation Tech. Look at those ball joints. They're just like the Xeon amphibious mobile suits, and it can even fly. Yeah. It's got these giant skis. And, and it really does look like a cool mobile suit when it's not standing straight up. Um, like if it's kneeling or on its skis or anything like that, it looks really cool. Um, I, I honestly don't even think it looks bad. I just think it looks like uh, if you guys ever played Armored Core back in the day, it looks like those kind of like, re like reverse leg mechs. Yeah. I know it doesn't look bad. It just looks weird uh, from like your experience with all it, of the other. It kind of reminds me of when you're putting together like an MG or a PG and you got the frame and only like half the stuff on the frame. Well, if you look at the, 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 the front picture of volume five of the manga, it looks really cool. Right. And then you look at like, like the first page or two of volume six and it's like hey i've got a goofy standing position <laughs> yeah it doesn't bother me at all I, I still think it's one of my favorite uh one of my favorite designs for just a straight up like not in the future gundam non-canon gundam i mean lane you might not like it but that's what peak performance looks like it's it's true it's true. We were just talking about a marathon running before, and obviously there's somebody running in for, in front of the Atlas Gundam so it can get a little bit faster speed underwater. There you go. <laughs> um, so volume six is interesting because um, this is the the battle uh, in, in the cold that we see Bianca and Io and all these people like involved in in the anime. But the manga completely like rewrites the script. Well, I mean, it originally wrote the script, so it's not rewriting it. Yeah. It's writing it originally, but it's presenting it in a way different way than the anime does. Um, and it's different because I would actually expect 
an anime to present it in a certain way, like that it's written versus the manga, you know? It feels like this was made in a way that was intended to translate to the screen. Yes. Because it's the kind of storytelling that's told in a non-chronological fashion where you are jumping ahead and back and ahead and back and and not into just point A, point B, and then, you know, point What's well, mostly and like it's it's very it's several points of jumping forward and then it's jump mostly back. jumping back though, isn't it? Yeah, it's mostly backwards, but there's two, eight, thirteen, fifteen, thirty, thirty-five present. Well, I guess what I meant was yeah, that's what I was trying to say. But they're all moving forward in ways that these different threads start before they yeah. jump back again. And then things move forward through that thread to a point and maybe multiple ones. And then they jump back again. Yeah. It, it builds the tension. But what I think is, so what I'm remembering in the anime is this whole battle scene there is five minutes, 10. Yeah, maybe. If we're being generous. And that is this volume. Yeah. It, yeah. That's, that's a great, that's a great way to look at it. It's, it's a, uh, the way that they tell it is very drawn out. Yeah, for me, for I me, I, oh, go ahead. I was just gonna say I don't mind it. I enjoyed it. It was just very uh, having watched the anime first. It was a little almost off-putting at well, first. I, I think the way they did it, and I, I'd have to like sit down and look at it a little bit closer. Is I think the way they did it was each chapter was another time jump, right? So when it was getting released in when it was being serialized in like a, a monthly or weekly manga or or compilation it was basically like they would they would show this thread of time and then the next installation would be the next thread of time yeah no i i I can enjoy this kind of storytelling and i would bet that if you were following this on the serial basis it was probably very neat all at once reading it i thought it was i feel like it was too long form for this method and for what it was actually doing here. I can't say I disliked it, but something didn't connect with it. I was feeling the tension build, but I think for it's, I think what it was, it's just the ultimate destination was just the uh, end of some other battle. It seemed like it needed to be a little longer to me. Shorter or longer. Yeah. 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 It's if, if they did like two chapters in like, like I told, I had mentioned you guys when we were kind of like, Shit, shooting the shit before this episode is it seemed like I'm able to get like a sentence or two out of each chapter and that's it like of like summary if, if it doesn't feel it feels like an incomplete thought almost like if they would have spent like two chapters on it or something along those lines and then like shifted the time it would have been better but this is like in, in a reading format it's like really jerky yeah well, anyway, we can just move on. I mean, right. the other note I'll make is I can't imagine reading this in a like it's serialized monthly format, like as opposed to the volume that would have been horrible. <laughs> um, all right, so we see Bianca walk up to the uh, empty Gundam in the snow, or not Gundam, but a, a mobile suit in the snow. Um, she sees a pilot walking away and is, is about to snipe him. And then she is about to get sni- uh, smashed herself by a Zagok. And then we go to two hours earlier. <laughs> um, 
and we see an underwater battle. So we see the Bianca trying to sink the remnants of a mothership and she's about to finish them off when a gog jumps her and they damage each other and she cuts the gog's arm off. Um, then we go to eight hours earlier. So this is, this is where we're talking about. This is like, it's, it, there's several panels of this because this is a chapter, but it, there's not a lot to it. Um, eight hours earlier, uh, the a ship makes an emergency landing in a storm. Um, they send a ball out and it gets attacked and destroyed by Xeon forces. Uh, the, the Federation troops launch uh, their stuff, their mobile suits to get revenge. And Xeon thinks they're safe due to the Minovsky particles. Then we go back 13 hours earlier and we see um, a commander drunk <laughs> and he has, his child has recently died. Um, and then we see that the Federation group has broken off and Xeon thinks that they can catch these guys now that they've broken off from the main ship. Yeah. Just to note, this is a, the scene where he's talking about how, like, He's drunk and he's like talking about finding his kid in the rubble. Um, that 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 kind of kind of messed me up a little bit for a hot minute. And uh, this is a great example of this being the series that really focuses on the horrors of war, and that's a great example of it and like the impact it had on him. Yeah, yeah. Um, so the commander gets detoxed and heads out in his gog to lead a group of zgoks to chase down the Federation splinter stuff. And then we go to 15 hours earlier. We see Carolina um, is this the chick that was in the ball. And she's heading out ahead of the Spartan to make sure that everything's clear. Um, and Carolina and Bianca are apparently lesbians. And they have a thing for each other. Is and that confirmed or is that you speculating? It seemed pretty defined in the way I read it. I, I'm I'm open to being wrong on that, but I, don't know. I, I, I only ever got the impression that she would, they were like close. I didn't ever, I never got like the impression that they were specifically anime and manga are usually pretty obvious with those kind of vibes. And I didn't get them here. Okay. I, um, I got the vibes that they were in a relationship, but I mean, that's fine. They can be. <laughs> Let it be. You can, you okay. can write that fanfic. <laughs> um, well, why don't we write a fanfic about Bianca having a t- tattoo for every unit she's fought with, which is a lot of units. Yeah, she's uh, she's covered, man. Yeah, she's she's lit up with tattoos. Um, so yeah. Uh, then we go to thirty hours earlier. The Spartan has been damaged and it has to fly slowly to convert into fortress mode as it enters Nanyang t- territory. Um, as it's converts into fortress mode, it splits off uh, to create a security perimeter, and that's when the ball launches, because that's part of the security perimeter thing. And then, 35 hours earlier, um, we see Io and Bianca jamming out with a band. Uh, We learned that Bianca was a pro musician before, and then they meet afterwards, and they talk about jazz. (laughs) Um... So, yeah, so if we go back and we reverse everything from where I just said, essentially what's happened here is the Spartan gets damaged at a certain point, and 
it has to it has to like fly lower and go into a fortress mode um, for the time being. As part of it going into the fortress mode, it has like um, like one unit per like edge of the ship, so four units split off, and they they create like a security perimeter for the Spartan. And as part of that, the ball launches, and then uh, the Xeon ships uh, detect that they've split these sections off of the Spartan, and they go to intercept and like like try to kill some of uh, the the Federation forces. And in the process, they kill the ball. Uh, as a result of them killing the ball, they launch some mobile suits out from one of the Splinter forces, where Bianca's launched out, and she gets in a battle with the Xeon forces, including the commander and his his Gog and the, the Zgoks that are with him. Um, they get in a battle. They take each other out, kind of. And um, then Bianca's chasing down the commander to kill him when she gets jumped by the Zgoks. Sound good? Sure. Yeah, pretty much. All right, yeah. I, so I kind of reversed that. Um, yeah. So as she's about to get killed, Alice Gundam shows up, Eo shows up and blows away the Zagaks. Um, he's got some really cool rail guns, which is not canon apparently. And, <laughs> and um, he blows them up pretty good while they talk about hearing jazz from the Atlas Gundam. Yeah, they're all like horrified and keep uh, commenting here, guys. But I didn't want to make a comment. It is, it is not canon because it's a railgun. Yeah. Cause, cause, yeah. Um, yeah. So, EO takes the Atlas Gundam into sled mode and goes underwater to show off some of his cool new toys on the Atlas Gundam. Um, he can use an atlas, or he can use the railgun to create a magnetic shield and deflect the torpedoes that are getting shot, shot at him underwater. Uh, we get to meet our second lieutenant bull, not Shalia bull, but something else bull, um, and he is piloting. What is he piloting? He is piloting the Grublo. Um He has a lobster. Yeah. Um, but he he's he's pretty well evenly matched he's outmatched by the atlas gundam but he's able to fight pretty well um he reduces the visibility so he can kind of get close to the atlas and destroy its sled and um they grapple for a little bit and um eventually eo takes the grubolo out but eo is way too deep into the water and um starts having some issues due to pressure um, uh, the big thing is he's got like shot up or something like to that effect. He's all full of holes and so none of his equipment's working. So the way that anime showed that, which is, is the way I read it in the manga, just because I saw it in the anime was, it wasn't that he got shot up. It was that that was like the, the pressure on the suit. So it was like starting to dent in. Uh, maybe so he kept saying it was full of holes. Yeah. Yeah. But he was so basically he was taking more damage over time, right? Um, so he uses his uh, beam sabers to launch himself up, and he still fails. Uh, but well, it actually must, works. It's just he runs out of fuel in one of his sabers. Yeah, he's not able to get up high enough. Um, yeah, to like get out of the water. 
but Bianca saves him. And this was weird. Like in the anime, like her suit seemed jacked up. Yeah. Um, they didn't give the same impression in the manga. They just gave it the impression that she had been like disabled, but yeah. um, she's able to get in there and, and save him. Um, and then the last, one of the last things we see is uh, the fed, the Federation soldiers suspect there is a spy on the Spartan. And we learned that commander Kaufman who was the alcoholic with the recently dead family is a cultist. Yeah, not too surprising there. And we're on to volume seven. <laughs> we're almost done, Scotty. Yay. <laughs> um, You're having a good time. So we get to see Daryl again. I, have, just, I, I am not into this part of the manga at all. Daryl and Daryl. That probably comes through. I'm really bored, actually, if I had to be really honest. <laughs> I'm really, really bored right now. <laughs> it's almost over. We we get to talk about the sand rat soon. Uh, all right, so we see Daryl and Mitchum walking together. Um, they're gathering honey on a field, spending time together. She calls him daddy, just like in the anime. Um, and they mention they're bringing her memories back so she can rebuild the Psycho Zaku. Um, more cultists heading towards the Spartan. Uh, there's a lot of like political talk, like the Spartan, the the cultists are somehow allied with the Federation, but they're not at the same time. Um, the yeah, Spartans they started, they started as like an offshoot organization of the Fetties. Yeah, yeah. Now they're like fighting for independence. It's kind of like when America just gives people weapons. Because yeah, it's like it's like Kurdistan, that. except. No, they're all dead. Um, yeah. Yeah, so the Spartans' mobile suits are only authorized to fire on the cultists. If they're fired upon, the people on Spartan are obviously not happy about that. Um, the Atlas Gundam is out of commission because it is uh, taking too much damage because he always damaged yet another um, Gundam. He's a great pilot. Um <laughs> Then we hear Commander Peer uh, announcing that she is with the cultist and tells the Spartan to leave. Uh, Io and Cornelius freak out because at, up until this point, they had believed she was dead. Um, the captain of the Spartan demands access to the docks of the Nanyang Alliance, and he also demands tribute from them, which, you know, that, that works really great when you have an army like flying towards you. Oh yeah. Give us access to everything you have and then like give us money. Um, so of course they blow him up or try to blow him up. Yeah. They didn't take too kindly to that. Um, yeah. So there's a full on battle at this point. Um, after they have like a back and forth about the legalities of the Federation mission and stuff like that. It was like, do you know, is this an officially sanctioned mission? Blah, 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 blah. And I was like, okay, this is stupid. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, but the cultists swarm the Spartan and they land on it just like they do in the anime. They invade the ship. They, uh, and, and we see EO fighting in a just plain old mobile suit as, as he's taking on Chow Ming. Um, and he's trying to find Claudia. So he's jumping from the, from Dodai to Dodai, like 
checking it out, if not blowing it up and moving on. I like the part where he says no religious recruiting allowed on the ship before he like blows up a couple of those dudes. <laughs> yeah, I did. I did think that was pretty funny. Um, yeah, so the cultists are putting talismans all over the ship and then like suicide bombing. And, and we do see them give something to a spy on the Spartan. Um, EO finally finds Claudia and again, just like in the anime, he gets uh, wrapped up in a whip by Chao Ming and gets electrocuted um, and passes out. Uh, and then we also find out that the old lady ran a new type lab, raised Levin Fu, and he was supposed to die within a year, but somehow the Psychozaku has kept him alive. It's a great plot. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's... Look, there's worse bullshit in Gundam. Well, I think at this point in the anime, when we were talking about this last week, I couldn't even summarize the plot without laughing. Too yeah, <laughs> I mean, and Levin Fu, the the part with Levin Fu that I, I like dislike is that we're not to it yet. This part, the introduction was fine. I mean, it's like weird new type school that has essentially child experiments gone wrong is very well tread territory. And yeah, as a, as a premise, I'm like, okay, all right. Yeah. All right. That's fine. Yeah. We're not trying to blow up anything on the moon yet. Yet. <laughs> no, I think the only uh, crazy part about that was that he was there for 15 years. Yeah. So yeah, that's volume uh, four through seven. That's basically December sky. Rearranged. You, you mean Bandit Flower? I'm sorry. I keep mixing them up in my head. Uh, yeah. So it's basically Bandit Flower uh, and vastly different order, leaving out more of um, EO's background, which I actually, I actually, out of everything in the manga, EO's background and the interactions with him were probably my favorite part of the story. Yeah, I think that's fair. That's. I would, I would agree, especially considering uh, they did such a poor job of giving him any character background. And kind of, they kind of made him very unlikable in the uh, anime, and I thought he was a lot more uh, realistic in the uh, in the manga. In the in the battles in this part of the manga, just don't seem to be as good as they were in uh, the first few chapters or the first few volumes, like the. The December Sky stuff was really well done. The battles were really well defined. Um, not to say like the stuff like the stuff with Daryl escaping and, and turning around and, and blowing up those GMs and even I mean that that was probably the better scene from the, these three volumes or so. Um, but yeah, th I mean th this whole section just seems not as good. Well, it's not. I think this is what we're getting into is that it's obviously in Otagaki's personal interest to keep up a serialized manga as long as possible. It's a paycheck. It's yeah. a regular paycheck, right? But I think he ran out of plot at the end of volume three. Like I, and just this was the, well, I can keep it going and here's this idea. And I think the reason it's kind of still meandering along is yeah, it, this, this is not a planned out in advance story. This is someone telling a story as they go. 
and that's fine. That can work. Um, I just hope there's some kind of ending planned at this point. There certainly been Gundam manga that go and they run and they run for a while and they never hit an ending. Do and they just stop. randomly get canceled? They just, or they go on hiatus and never come back. <laughs> so yeah, it's, it's it'd be interesting to see if he has a defined endpoint in his head. I thought I had read somewhere that that there was an ending planned and it was in the near future. But I again, I don't think they had like a, a definitive like it's not done yet as of this recording. Yeah. So, and I don't know how. <laughs> and that's why I said that's to me the evidence to back up what I just said is I, I don't know how much story is even left. And somehow we still have five more volumes to talk about after this. And, and that's just with the English officially translated ones, not yeah. even everything. And I just don't, um, how the final battle was about to start at the end of 12. How is it still going? <laughs> <laughs> Slow mo. <laughs> so let's talk about shot in the desert rat. Let's do that. Let, let's end on a high note. I know you like this one. Yeah. yeah, this is fun. I mean, this is just a side story there. There's honestly not, a whole ton to it. It's just a fun side story. And we pick up with Sean from the living dead division and he's in Africa in 0080. This is a few months after the end of the war. He is hanging out with just some, some dudes and they're, you know, picking up scrap and um, his crew members are just these wonderful guys that have seven kids and three wives. Another one has 15 kids and six wives uh, if you don't remember Sean, he is the member of the Living Dead Division that was the kind of diminutive guy. Um, he doesn't look exactly like this. He's a lot skinnier, but he his overall style reminds me a bit of like Tochiro from Harlock, if you're familiar with that at all. Um, just kind of the or the the drummer in Daft Punk's One More Time and all of those music videos because he's oh uh, yeah Tochiro. So yeah. Anyway, uh, so yeah, if you know the Matsumoto verse at all, which I'm only very passingly familiar at best, he looks a little bit like that. So, oh yeah, and his boss has 32 kids, so he's doing the best. And he <laughs> even offers uh, to hook him up with a wife. I think he has too many, too many wives. Um, no, he, uh, he says Earth's full of widows and girls of no livelihood. Um, with what you're making now, you could easily take care of three. <laughs> so, uh, polygamy in the desert. All right. No, that's fine. Anyway, they're out well, they, for parts. They do mention, and, and this was like something I thought was kind of neat, was like Earth, Earth's population and, and the colony's populations have dropped so drastically after the one-year war. They had mentioned that there were like um, population caps in place, and uh, now th those population caps aren't in, in place anymore because everybody's freaking dead. <laughs> yeah, well, and the other thing to remember about earth in the universal century is that the population of earth as compared to the colonies is nothing. That's why Xeon is so easily able to get their foothold in the one year war because it's just not nearly as sparsely populated. So in those early parts before attrition is coming into play, they're just going to vastly outnumber in manpower. So yeah, it would make sense that it's still kind of, kind of sparse, but, uh, yeah. Anyway, I mean, there, it's not, there's not a lot to this story. I mean, they're, you know, they're kind of fighting this guy that's a falconer, which is pretty cool. 
I like the Falcon. Yeah, his his unit had defeated some guys on the battlefield, and he felt like he was entitled to the the spoils of war, as it is. And Daryl's group, or um, Sean's group, is desert rats. They're scavengers, so they come across this battle, and they're like, "Well, we're gonna grab this shit." And he's like, "No, this is my shit." So that's like the whole setup for this scenario, essentially. That is the like the entire scenario, yeah. And this group is called the Desert Hawk Brigade that has this Federation like land hover tank thing. And um Yeah, they fight and they're like, We found a treasure and it's one of those uh um Gundam heads with a chicken side about to blow her brains out. Yeah, so like that they get in this battle and they're about to like the the Federation guy is about to blow up Sean. Then he sees somebody has a, a gun pointed at him and it turns out it's just like, uh, was it a Gundam that had, it was like broken and it's, it was like just stuck in place essentially. And when Sean and them go up to it after the Federation guy kind of run away, he sees a chicken there with like a gun to her head. She's about to kill herself. Um, and then they rescue her and he's like, you want to ride my suit? Pretty much, yeah. And we learn her, her name is Monica L. Bianchi, and the hawk takes the boss's hat and then sits on top of this uh, Gundam head, and that's the end. That's the end. But it's just a it's a cool, fun little side story. Yeah. And to me, it's the by far the best part of these four volumes of manga that we just <laughs> talked about. To me. I, I mean, I enjoyed the manga in general. Um, it wasn't bad, but uh, this was this was like a lighthearted like thing that was fun to fun to read. Yeah, I, I find these four volumes overall very mediocre. They're not bad, but they're not. I can't, in good conscience, recommend them. Now, I would recommend them over the anime Bandit Flower. Oh yeah, Any- yeah. yeah, yeah. So with what you've read of the series as a whole, without going into any detail about what comes next, do you recommend the series as a whole? Fuck no. (laughs) (laughs) Emphatically, like there's way, way better stuff to read. And that's kind of sad because we'd all come to a a pretty pretty solid consensus that December Sky was one of the best Gundam shows that has ever come out. And then followed up by Bandit Flower, which is one of the worst Gundam shows that has ever come out. Yep. I mean, it. that's what I said. It's just when you have a story that you're just making up as you go to keep your gig on a serial, this is what happens. It, it's directionless. I think there is good character drama. There are good moments. Some of the mechanical designs, because of the artistic freedom that he has is are are excellent and when the action scenes are on like you mentioned the one with daryl like where he's like catapulting up in the back of his act guy up there shooting at it's great it's awesome stuff but then there's all this naval combat that it's just and and some of the factioning is disjointed which uh, i mean there's a lot of when we get to zeta that's there are times in Zeta that I get lost due to disjointed factions. So yeah, this is not like a new thing or, or anything. I really hold against it too much. There's certainly better here than like a Reconquista by God. Uh, but 
yeah, it's it's just I think this would be better to me if the first few volumes and you know December Sky like if they weren't so damn good. Um, yeah, I don't want them to go back to space, but maybe that would be good for it. Maybe that's the correct ending is to get them back to space and they are headed to the moon, but obviously they can't fulfill their goal. Yeah. But maybe that's where this needs to go. I don't know. Yeah, this, yeah, this, if, if the, the first three volumes were an A plus, this is like, I don't know, a solid C for me. <laughs> Like it's passing and it's not, not on the border of failing like th this chunk of volumes, but it's definitely not like if it had started off like this, we probably wouldn't have done the manga. It wouldn't, I don't think <laughs> if it started out like this, it wouldn't have gotten adapted. Yeah. It wouldn't be here in the United States in English officially in print. Yep. Yep, and it kind of makes me wonder if they are going to get to an another anime. They've they've talked about it, but they're cagey about it at the same time. So um, we'll how'd see. Like how'd you like that Hathaway's Flash teaser in uh, Build Divers Rerise with the Penelope, the Penelope, and the the Green Unicorn facing off? I don't remember that. Didn't catch it. It wasn't actually a Hathaway's Flash teaser. Right? Oh. <laughs> but, like I think it, I think it was, or I don't know. It's tough to say because the I don't think the Unicorn Gundam's in Hathaway's Flash the book, so if it's going to be in the series. That's actually kind of interesting to me. Yeah, I think they're going to have to do a lot of rewriting with it, and then we're going to have another like conversation on what is canon. <laughs> Whatever you want, it's your robot adventure. <laughs> Yeah, it, it, it's interesting. I mean, they're they're adapting a story that's what fifteen years old at this point for something that is mixing stuff that just came out like six months ago. Hathaway's Flash is much older. Is it? When did they come out? Um, I'm gonna have to Google it. Hang on. I, I'm pretty sure '90s. Okay, I thought it was like early 2000s. Uh, let's see. Yeah, original run February '89 to April 1990. Okay, all right. So almost 30 years. <laughs> uh huh. Yeah. Yep. But but the the even more interesting thing is that's supposed to come out this year. There's not an actual trailer out for it yet, and there's going to be a trailer for Star Wars um, coming out on Monday. And that should theoretically come out before or after Hathaway's Flash. I don't think this movie is happening this year. You don't think so? I think we would have at least a trailer or something by now, more than or more of one than we've had, or a release date. Yeah, uh, there isn't even a release date, and I think I think in the states, if I remember seeing this, there's a. There is a run of Char's counterattack coming, and something tells me that was supposed to be Hathaway's Flash, and I don't know. Mm. Some something tells me it's very late. Look, 
take take your time. Don't put out a piece of shit. I would rather wait than than put out something bad. Yeah, because so. it's gonna have to be three movies at this. They said right, and that's on yeah. top of the five uh, Rico movies. I, yeah, and I, then they're also putting out, and and again we'll we'll talk about this in in, in a different setting. They're also going to be putting out something else before the end of the year for like the fortieth anniversary stuff. Really? Yeah, they said. I, I don't know if it's like a show or or just like a fortieth anniversary. Like like um, wasn't it that clip that went online with Amaro and Lala? Like looking at the turn A. No, I don't think that's it. I think there's something else, um, and it has it has something to do. They were calling it G40. Well, okay. So one thing I would like to remind you guys of, or tell you about, if you didn't know, for the I want to say 35th anniversary, they said something like that, and they just put out a short film of all the lead Gundams from every series getting together and being cool. Yeah, I mean, which would it, could, it could be that. It could which be on designs, which is fine because that little short is awesome. But I'll take it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, yeah, I don't, I don't need much. <laughs> All right. So until next time, we will cover um, episode or volumes uh, seven or no eight through whatever's out. Probably twelve. Um, cause I don't think we're going to record this in February of 2020. Um, <laughs> maybe, maybe we come back to it. Maybe we don't. Yeah, we'll, we'll see. Um, yeah, we're both, the plan is to finish what the rest of, uh, Thunderbolt that's out and then we'll move on from there. So, uh, you can reach out to us on Twitter at new type flash pod. Um, all of our handles are in the bio or in the bio section of that. Um, so feel free to tweet at us or read our threaded threads on Reddit. Um, and I will learn to pronounce enunciate, pronounce things better as we go through, um, psychozaku and stuff like that. I'll be able to say it. Um, no, no, <laughs> you won't, you'll, you'll just keep messing up. It's fine. I don't judge. It's fine. Yeah. Can't wait for that penelope high grade to come out next week. <laughs> <laughs> all right thanks guys bye, bye. In broadcast <laughs>